Colossians chapter 3, we're looking at just verse 1 through 4 this morning. We'll be looking at 5 through 17 next week together. But it's kind of a hinge passage because Paul, for two chapters, has been talking about doctrine. Again, sort of getting everything correct in their minds because, again, this false teaching was coming in. And it was diminishing what Jesus had done, who he was as a person, that he was just one of God's creations. And yet the Bible tells us that he is the creator, that Jesus is God, who became a man 2,000 years ago and uh, lived the life none of us could ever live, ultimately so he could die uh, on the cross on our behalf. He became sin on our behalf so that we might be forgiven. And then he moves to not just who Jesus is, but now into sort of the practical side. So what does it mean in our life? Again, as truth was under attack at this church, uh, it was attacking who Jesus is, but also the life of a Christian. They attacked the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. We could say that this book ought to be called Jesus Plus Nothing. Because he alone is sufficient to save us, to keep us saved, but also to change us from the inside out. Uh, Last week we looked at, as we closed chapter 2, and um, the last verse of chapter 2, and if you want to read it with me, uh, verse 23, it says, Paul's talking about religious practices and dietary laws and things that they were, external religious things that they were saying, this will really make you really close to God. This is what God's looking for in your life. And here's what Paul says about those religious externals. He says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. He says in verse 1 of chapter 3, If if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory." Paul writes to them, and again, this is a hinge passage because now he's going to get to the practical things, the things that you and I are to put to death that are on the inside of us, right? Things like, uh, you know, uh, malice and hatred and lust and things that reside on the inside that show up on the outside and actually like uh, are, are the things that cause us pain in our lives. Paul says it has the appearance of wisdom, external religious practices, dietary laws, and and being severe with your body. They would encourage you to stay up for many days in a row. God is going to be pleased with that, and that's going to make you actually grow as a Christian. It has the appearance of wisdom, but it doesn't do anything for a real problem. And that's us on the inside. We could do a lot of religious practices, right? We've talked about this in times past. Uh, there were times that maybe we, uh, you know, our relatives went to churches where they were told you got to, you know, dress in your Sunday best. And you're going like, you look great on the outside, but you're like the meanest, nastiest person Monday through Friday. So I don't know that it, like showing up and all this religious externals is actually doing anything for changing who you are. One pastor said the only remedy for sinful passions is found in the believer's experience experience of union with Christ. He's going to talk about change, becoming new, living that new life, practical Christian living, but it's built on the foundation of who Jesus Christ is. So as we move into like, how do we flesh this out? How do we change? What, what, what is the catalyst to make me become more and more like who he is and less and less like the old me, the old version of me? 
What happens when we believe? And then what do we do today? Well, we find that in these uh, first four verses of this section that we move into practical Christian living. And there's two things that, that I think Paul points out here. One is our identification with who Jesus Christ is, right? And also our pursuit of him. Like what now do we live in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for us? So first he talks about our identification with Jesus in verse 1 and also verse 3 and 4. These are things that we need to know. Here's what Paul says. There's a past, there's a present, and there's a future when we talk about our identification with him. It is first the glance back. He says, you have died and you've been raised with Christ. So when Jesus died, he died on behalf of our sins. And as he was raised to life, he defeated death, he defeated sin, he defeated the devil, and his victory, because we identify with him, is our victory. His death is our death. Paul brings this up in chapter 2 when he talks about how we were buried with him in the, in, in the image of baptism. And we were raised to walk in this new life that comes through our identification with Jesus, not religious externals that we try to keep adding to our life and becoming more and more uh, cluttered with uh, a lot of just religion. But it has nothing to do with who he is and what he is in our life. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. He says, Or have you forgotten that when we joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. How, does it change? How do we change? Well, recognizing that our old life is dead. And when Jesus died and we believed in him, that was our death too. We're dead to that old life. And we've been raised to walk in a new life because he himself is risen. The new life is detailed in the rest of this chapter and in chapter four. Sort of like putting off old garments, all smelly garments, and we'll talk about that next week, and putting on these new clothes that, that represent this new life in Christ where we grow in loving one another, serving one another, right? At home, at work, and in our everyday life. And the reality of the resurrection, it doesn't just provide hope for eternal life, although Paul mentions that in this chapter. It's resurrection power in our current life, like the here and the now, and because he's risen, Paul is saying and will say to us, your life actually should become changing. You should actually become more and more like Jesus because of what he's done. His death is our death. Sin has been dealt with on our behalf. We were dead in our sin. The Bible confirms that you and I were slaves to our own passions and our own uh, internal sinful nature, that we had no option other than to just sort of give into it, Right? And when Jesus died for us, he took away not just the penalty of our sin, like what our sin deserved, but when Christ rose from the dead, he took away its power. It means that you and I don't have to, if we're believers, we don't have to give in to that sinful nature any longer because of what Christ has done, right? He took away its power in our lives and those who actually have faith in Jesus Christ and belong to him. Now, we still have a pilot light called the sin nature. This morning was the first day uh, I was able to turn on. Uh, Tammy and I got like a, a, a gas, you know, 
uh, what do we call that, fireplace last year. And like, we were late and like, oh, September's gonna be awesome. We could turn on our fire and like get pumpkin spice lattes, right? And uh, it's like 104 degrees. And so this morning I turned it on and, and it's funny, I go up to the thing, push the button and there's that pilot light just there. It's always present. Your sin nature is always present. But you don't have to allow it to dictate your life any longer. It doesn't have to control who you are. I think we all understand that, that kind of concept that we have a sin nature. We will, by the way, that's why uh, the best thing that could ever happen to you and I is when we pass from this life, we shed this earthly body, which contains sort of like a sin nature in our DNA. We get a brand new spiritual body, by the way, that doesn't fall apart and the hair doesn't fall out and there's no troubles with it any longer. But you and I have sin within us. We still have uh, this sin nature. We have these dual natures now, if you would. We have this alive spirit that now wants to serve God, but we still have a sin nature that if we allow it to rule our lives, we could feel it pull and tug and actually direct our lives into that old way of living. Now we have this new life because we've been dead with him. We've been raised with him. We have new desires. We have new power in our life because he's risen from the dead as he set us free from sin. But then he talks not just about our past, but he talks about our present. Look at verse three, he's, or, uh, in uh, verse three, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's our present position with him. We identify with his death and now our identification is we are hidden in Christ. We no longer belong to this world once you commit your life to the Lord. We've been purchased, we've been redeemed. And this word that he uses, hidden, it, it speaks of security, like we're secure in, in what he's done for us. My security, my eternal security is not based on my, my uh, faithfulness on a daily basis, right? My salvation isn't connected to, did I go to church last week and did I read my Bible last week? Or did I, you know, get cut off in the car and did I spew some words out of my mouth that, you know, wasn't, uh, that's, I'm just speaking you know, like in third person. I'm not saying that that's what I do. Uh, I may or may not have a spouse that may or may not do that when we were driving. It's actually not true. She's the one that's like, our grandbaby, Gordon, she's listening and watching to every single thing you do. And I'm like, well, if these idiots didn't live in Fresno driving like this, then she would never hear anything like that. I'm secure in what Christ has done for me. It doesn't mean that he doesn't want to change me, but my position is, I'm, my life is now hidden in Christ. It speaks of security. You know what it also speaks of? Satisfaction. Everything that my heart is craving and longing for, everything that I really am after in this life that we, we chase after things thinking that's really what I need to fulfill me, all of it is found in this new hidden life with Christ. I love what Jesus says in John 10. He says, I give them eternal life, speaking about his followers, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. How comforting for this group of people who are being told, these are the things you need to continue to add to your belief in Jesus, or else. He'll get to change, because everyone wants to say, well, well, you can't just keep living the way you live before you become a Christian. When you become a Christian, you don't want to live like that anymore. Can, just show of hands. 
The part about your life that still is like wrapped up in your sin nature, isn't that the worst part about your life that you hate? Paul says this, why do I do the things I don't want to do? And why do I continue to do the things, or why do I not do the things that I don't want to do, right? Or I do want to do. I might have mixed that up. <laughs> Let's get this straight. Romans chapter 7, something like that, <laughs> right? It's because I need God's power to become different. But they were saying, you need to add this. You need to do this. No power of hell can touch your life. Paul says in Romans 8, 38, verse 39, this is worthy of spray painting around that verse in your Bible, underlining it, marking it, highlighting it. Paul says, and I am convinced that nothing ever can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, <clears throat> neither our fears for today or nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Safe and secure. Our lives are now hidden with Christ. He's enough to save us. He's enough to keep our salvation secure. And he's enough to satisfy our hearts. It also means something else. It's a word that would describe that something that's concealed. And Christians are kind of in that spot where we just aren't people. It's hard for people to get it. Like you just say like, oh, so now you're religious. Like, no, no, it's, it's not that. It's like, like. I have a relationship with my creator. He set me free from sin. Uh, and we talk about things, you know, like living for the next life, allowing that to shape how we live here on earth. And we talk about, you know, that God became a man and he lived a perfect life among us, ultimately to absorb the wrath of Almighty God for the sins of the world, including mine. And then he rose from the dead and people are like going, you're nuts. I mean, it's just crazy. I'd rather than like hearing about like some cool trip in the tropics and you took some, you know, some drugs and got a, this vision and you're like, oh man, now that's cool, right? That, that's really cool. What those guys are saying is nuts. One day the unseen realities will come out in the open as Paul talks about Christ's return. And in verse four, he turns to this glorious truth, our future. Our past, we're dead and we're raised with Christ. Our present, we're secure and we are uh, uh, in this you know, relationship with him where he says that, that you are, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And the future is, in verse 4, who, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What a, what a promise for, the, for those of us that you just go through the, the, the ups and downs of life. Right? The trials, the difficulties, the hardships that we face, the disappointments. Beyond this life is the hope of eternal life. It's hard for us to grasp that when we're scheduling out and planning out our year and we're wrapping up this last quarter of the year and we're thinking about 2023, right? And going like, okay, this is what we want to do in 23. We make, we're we making those plans. We are making those plans as well. We have plans and goals for our church family, for our own personal family, uh, for our own personal lives. But one day, this whole thing just ends. And we may think, I've got zero to 85, right? Thinking about getting one of those infrared saunas and putting it in my garage. I'm going to get it. I'm going to be pastoring until I'm 125, right? But eventually, 
right? The, those juicing and the inference, and I'm all for it, man. Those oxygen chambers, I'm gonna jump in one this week. And, and cryo, you know, like freezing your body. Have you ever done that before? It's like, you just, can I make it through this entire, I had to pick, I think, uh, Thunderstruck by ACDC just to make it. Has anyone ever done that before? Like you turned it up all the way cold. Am I just so weird? I'm sorry. No one's even getting this stuff right now except that backhand. One day, like zero to 40 for Jesse, zero to 84 for my grandma, zero to 125, maybe I make it. Guess what? One day we're going to step into God's kingdom. And what Paul is talking about here is that that becomes like the goal. And then sort of reorienting our lives backwards. If one day I know I'm going to step, I had a conversation with a friend who's making, I'll just say it, stupid, stupid choices with their life. And it's like, I just don't get it. And I asked him, I said, if you were to die, if I just said like, you're going to die. I'm a very encouraging coffee mate. You're going to die. But if you knew you were going to die this year, would you still be making this stupid decision? And of course the answer is no. I mean, are we all like that? We go like, you know what? Like if I knew that like my last time around the sun was this coming year, wouldn't you reorient your life in a way and structure it in such a way that you go like, man, I've been living for a lot of selfish things for a long time. I think it's time for me to actually start living for something bigger, eternal. That's what Paul's trying to get at. Say, guys, these false teachers are coming around the shop and saying, just get crazy religious and completely divert you from a real relationship with God because it's all built around what you're doing, right? How religious you can be. And it's not even connected to God anymore. you got to decide, are you going to be related to him by grace and his mercy and forgiveness or by your works? But you can't have both. It's all grace or it's all your effort and works. You earning your salvation. You've got to decide. Paul says, as believers, we identify with Jesus. His death, which broke the power of sin and secures our salvation and power to live a new life. And one day, the presence of God, this glorious future, when Christ is revealed, the hope of heaven, the return of Jesus Christ, him returning as he promised uh, one day for a group of Christians that will be living on earth. By the way, the early church, they lived with an anticipation of his near and coming return. You ever read through your Bible and just go like, Man, these guys, they believed, like Paul believed Jesus would return at some point in his life. And you just go, do you feel like smarter than Paul? Like, well, he totally missed that one, right? He, like, I think it was uh, Caesar Nero that had him killed, right? And then other generations of people, maybe when I became a Christian, there was a, you know, it was like back in the 80s, there was all this, you know, talk about, you know, return of Jesus and who's the Antichrist and is it, um, you know, the guy from Russia, you know what I mean? And it's like, whoa, everyone's talking about the return of Jesus. And then, you know, things kind of cool down and war cease and things. And then you're like, see, 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 he's not coming. We were always meant to live with an anticipation that he could return at any moment because it does help you reorient your life to live it in such a way where you go, man, I want to be living for the right stuff. I want to be living in, I want to, I want to structure my family. I want to structure my personal life. 
I want to structure the way I carry my business out in this world in a way that, that understands that, man, I, I'm, I'm headed towards eternity. So Paul says, listen, this is what it means to be a Christian. You're identified with Jesus' death, resurrection. You are, uh, you know, being connected to him and, and being hidden. Your life is now hidden in Christ. But one day you're going to be revealed with him that you and I are going to stand in his kingdom one day and be a part of his glorious kingdom. So the logical conclusion of this position we have in him now, our identification with him now, is to seek those things that are above that he talks about in chapter 2. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, your identification is with Jesus' death, resurrection, and his soon return. But also, practically, your personal pursuit of him. Your pursuit of kingdom things. Now life is about eternal things. Living a life that is after God. For these, this group in Colossae, before Christ came into their life, life was about pursuing pleasure. Maybe for you, like it was for me, life was just about being filled with me. What does Gordon want to do with his life? Right? This feels good, I'm going to do that. That doesn't feel good, I'm not going to do that. I want to hold bitterness and anger towards that person because that's what they deserve. But now Christ is in our life. Now Jesus is in their life. Right? It's not just about the pursuit of pleasure, their own wishes and whims, the, the, the things of this world, even empty religion, even just becoming this ultra-religious person as so many of these religious false teachers were. Outside, everyone's like, man, they're really godly. Look at their life. Look at all the things that they do that just show how holy and righteous they are. Before Christ came into their life, life was about pursuing the things of this world. And this world is filled with empty pursuits, empty promises. But you and I have been given the capacity to have more. That's why we long for stuff. That's why we long for and crave. Like, I just, I, I, there's something missing in my heart. And before Christ comes into our life, we, we chase after all of it. It could be your your pursuit of success. It could be your athletic endeavors, your academic achievements. It could be money. It could be career. It could be pleasure. Whatever it is, God's the one who gave you the capacity to want more. But the only thing is, it's only found in the pursuit of him. As Paul says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where he is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Seek the things above where Christ is seated. He calls us to look as high as the heavens to gain a perspective for our earthly endeavors. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God, right? He wasn't saying don't be concerned about the things that you have to deal with on earth. This isn't about, hey, I need to make sure that I've got things in order in case something were to happen to me. It's not about, I need to make sure that I put effort into building my business so it's sustainable and it actually can generate jobs and make money for my family. This isn't about putting effort in. In fact, it's the complete opposite when he gets down in chapter three. What Paul is going to tell us is that as a Christian who's seeking the things above, this is what it looks like. You're the hardest worker at work. You're the most faithful, trustworthy employee. 
You're the one who's the most generous employer. You're the one who works the hardest on your athletic team or your, or your music endeavors and, and all of that. But none of those things can satisfy you alone. How do we seek the things that are above? The secret is in verse 2. Set your mind on the things above. It means to habitually set your mind, your attention, on heavenly things. Right? We get a heavenly perspective as we're seeking things that are above on how to live life on earth. How to view stuff in our life. Right? Uh, What to have as the important priorities of our life. And by the way, that's a daily choice. It's a daily choice. When Paul says to set our minds and seek things that are above, it's it's the idea is it's keep on doing this. It requires great effort on our part. It is easy to drift. It's easy to get sidetracked. Have you ever just began your year with, you know, like, oh man, I'm going to really be in my Bible this year. I'm going to focus on growing spiritually. I'm going to join a small group or I'm going to be a part of this Bible study or whatever it is. And then you get to like April, May, you know what I mean? And it's just like sort of petering out a little bit. You sort of get distracted a little bit. Let's not talk about us. I want us to feel better. Do you know somebody in your life that has sort of drifted off (laughs) from important things? Right? Just where our hearts, we just know like, man, I'm just, man, I'm punching a clock. Like I'm, I'm spiritually, I'm kind of just phoning it in. This is a daily effort on our part. This isn't about earning God's salvation. This is about from a place of salvation. What's the most logical thing to do? To live my life completely for him. And Paul says, in order for you to do that, it's a daily choice to go, I'm going to seek the things that are above. Where Jesus is. I'm going to set my mind on things above and not on them. It's it's a conscious decision to go. I have to think about rearrange my life around eternal priorities because then that actually helps me really live out the best life on earth that I could possibly live. In 1 John chapter 2, John writes to a group of Christians and and, and when he says like, do not love the world nor the things of the world, literally what he says is stop loving the world. He's writing to a group of Christians that is diverting their attention away from Christ and a first love relationship with him like the church in Ephesus did that we read about in Revelation 3. And now they're sort of allowing the sort of the embers of fire, if you would, like burning hearts for the Lord are starting to cool off a little bit. And, And if it's not intentional on our part to seek things above, right, to set our mind on things above, you will drift. It's inevitable, right? I've never seen a marriage sort of like unintentionally drift into a a really great roaring fire of a marriage. It's the opposite. It's it's just the complete opposite. As I've sat with, you know, premarital people getting married, right? I guess that's premarital, right? Getting married, Oh my gosh, I'm like, what are you guys going to do to stay in love? Oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, I'm going to serve her, she's going to serve me, blah, blah, blah. We're going to date five nights a week, blah. I'm like, oh, okay, well, here we go. <laughs> Lord's like, bam, there's a baby. Bam, there's twins. Oh, okay, now what do we do? <laughs> you cannot sort of 
Cruise control your way into anything that is good in your life. And if relationship with Jesus is the greatest thing we could ever pursue and be after, well, it requires like intentionality. Demas is a guy that Paul's going to talk about in this letter at the end. As he closes out, Demas greets you. We find this guy, Demas, is an interesting cat. He's sort of around the, the leaders of the church, and he's in ministry. He's, he's a part of the, the, the church work, if you would, with the Apostle Paul. But Paul's last letter, we find out where it all ended for Demas. As Demas greets you, Demas welcomes you, right? We see his name pop up a few times at the end of letters that Paul writes. And then his last letter to Timothy was, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. I'm going to tell you right now, if Demas was sitting in this church today, all of us would say to our kids, why can't you be more like Demas? We'd say it to our spouse, man, look at the way Demas just you know, treats his wife. Look at the way Demas is just there serving the Lord. I need some prayer today. Demas, could you pray for me? It's just a guy that everyone thought like, and, and the last word we get about his life is he has bailed on the work that God was doing through his life because now he's chasing after this world. And not a one of us would say Demas would have been that guy. Do you have somebody in your mind right now? He's like, they ain't going to be walking with the Lord in one year. Or do you judge people like that? It's not a trick question. I'm just saying, are you human? And do you have like wicked thoughts like sometimes I might have? He's like, where did that come from? He's the last guy. Demas is the guy to be like, oh, he'll be faithful. I'm going to bail before Demas. It happens. How do we, what does it mean to set our mind on the things above? Is it like that kind of wishful, positive thinking? It comes in the form of just interacting with God consistently daily. The best way to actually sort of like reorient our setting our mind on things above, right? Uh, setting our thoughts on things above, seeking things that are above, is to spend time with Jesus every day. We call it quiet time. It means opening our Bibles and saying, God, I want you to speak to me today. And sort of getting on a rhythm and a routine. We have, you know, two-year reading programs to make it realistic for people to be able to read through God's Word on a consistent, regular basis. And it'd be amazing. You'd be like, man, I'm in Ezekiel right now. I don't think I'm going to get anything today. <laughs> you know what's great? Is that this book is a living book. God is continually speaking. He didn't speak to us. He speaks to us through His Word. And you open your Word and you spend time with the Lord. You pray and ask God to help you through your day. You ask God to bless those who are needing prayer around your life. You ask God to help you with a conversation that's tough at work. You ask him to help you navigate life on earth from a kingdom perspective. Lord, does this belong in my life? You have a new job opportunity. Weigh it. Does this make sense in light of who you want to be as a, as a you know, if you're a dad, a young dad? Well, you know, this job opportunity, I've always longed for this job. What's it going to do your family? Oh, but man, this is a career move. What is the kingdom, right? What's the kingdom of God would say? I would tell you right now, 
You know how fast people get replaced at jobs, right? I mean, it's sad when somebody leaves their position and it was like, oh, here's some flat cake from Costco. It's like, one layer, that's all I got? Been here 20 years? <laughs> yep. Because guess what? We need your space. Boot it. Lord, you are my priority. And then the people you've entrusted in my life, they're my priority. Through prayer, time in God's word, worshiping the Lord with other Christians, that's where we find our thoughts and our lives being directed by the Lord. As we learn what Christ has done for us, as we study his word more, we get strength to face the trials and the temptations that come our way. It's also important to know that as believers, we can still pursue the things of this earth. That's why he actually brings it up. Don't, it's, don't chase after the things of this earth. What does it mean, having an earthly mind? It means focusing on the things that pertain to the flesh life, right? The things that would draw us away, this world's values and and, and sin and temptation. Moses is such a great example of this. When we read about Moses in in the book of Hebrews, it says that Moses, though he was raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he chose rather to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, He weighed it and said, I could live this life, living it up as Pharaoh's son. Or I could live for God and it's going to come with consequences. It's going to come with persecution. It's going to come with demands. But he chose to align himself up with God. Jesus says, what would it profit if I gained the whole world and I forfeit my own soul? What I found in my own walk with God, my ups and downs, is that my successful moments were moments that my mind was fixed on heavenly things. Earthly things are not all evil, by the way. Wealth, that's not evil. To have money is not evil. Paul talks about that in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you want to get it's like a, a correct understanding of how you and I should view wealth, he says that God has richly supplied us with all things for us to enjoy. It's not about possessing wealth. Is it does wealth possess us? That's just, you don't have to have a lot of money in your bank to actually be possessed by wealth and the treasures of this earth. What our minds dwell upon affects us so much. Have you ever watched the Food Network before? You're just like, you know what? I'm eating clean today. It's going to be like this week. It will be for me this week. It will be just like low carbs, vegetables, and meat. That's what I'll eat. And then if that stupid show comes on, I'll never forget one time watching the, they were, watching, they were talking about the history of donuts. It was like, literally, me and the boys, we jump in our minivan, we drive down to, uh, we're down south, we drive down to uh, Krispy Kreme, we wait for those things to come right off of that little conveyor belt. We get two dozen, we get the hats, we get everything. We ride back, and it's like, I am such a weak human being. <laughs> One half hour show and all my kids and I are just like, you know, like, oh my gosh, in a sugar coma. We do get our minds, uh, our minds, what we think about really do direct our thoughts. That's why uh, we have to say, man, I need to set my mind on things above. Setting my mind on things above where Christ is. He's the object of worship in heaven. Where Christ is, the object of worship in my heart. He's the one who's in authority. When that happens, guess what? It changes the way we view trials. Hardships are going to come our way. But as a believer, we know that that God is working all things for my good when you have a heavenly mind. The way I see my stuff or my money, 
Am I storing up treasures on earth or am I seeking to be generous with the things that God has richly supplied for me? The way that we would lead a family, marry a wife, right? Raise kids, uh, lead a home as a single parent, live life as a follower of Jesus in the workplace. The way you and I use our talents, are they to to, for our self-glorification, are they to glorify him? All this is affected by our mindset. This isn't positive thinking. You can't positive think your way out of a trial. You have to have a heavenly mindset so that you can go, you know what? The backdrop of heaven is giving me a, a greater understanding of this is just something that God's allowing to grow me more in his image. I'm closer to him because I'm going through this hard time. And some way, somehow, he's going to receive the glory out of this. I trust God in it when I have a heavenly mindset. The eternal is supposed to affect the temporal. And that's what Paul's going to get at as we continue on. I love what verse 4 really spoke to me. When Christ, who is our life, when Christ, who is my life, we say people live for their work or their sport or their music. Here Paul says, as a believer, that's what we should be able to say about our own lives. When Christ, who is our life, when he is the core of my existence, that's what what Paul's talking about here. He's everything to me. My whole life is centered upon him. He becomes the reason for our existence, that our life would be so bound up and centered on Christ Jesus that we could say, he is my life. It's a great moment just to think right now, like, What would you say about yours? Could you say, Christ is my life. He's core to who I am as a person. I'm not talking about living in perfection. It's impossible. I'm not talking about having moments of being diverted and chasing after something else. I'm talking about in those moments, you're like, you know what? What the heck am I doing? Get my life back in a place of closeness with the Lord. Core to who we are. Centered upon him. Is that my life? Is that your life today? Is the pursuit of Jesus, keeping him at the core of your life, does that make up your daily activities? Does it make up your week, this coming week? Does it make up the way you live out your faith? Nothing could be more important. You know what's interesting is that all the important things of our lives, our families, our friends, our careers, our sports, and all the things that we do in life, all of those things benefit when Christ is our life. I honestly, you should go to marriage counseling. If it's a needed part of your journey, you should read books on marriage. But I will tell you that when you put Jesus at the core of who you are, I mean, intentionality daily, you'll become a better spouse. You'll be less harsh with your words. You'll be more considerate of the other person that God's put in your life. You'll show up for work on time. You'll work your uh, booty off at work. And people will just say like, and guess what? You won't be cocky. That's how you can tell like, oh, I'm really pursuing the Lord. I want to tell everybody about how better I am than everybody else. Right? I'm so proud of the fact I'm humble. You'll get that later. It's when he becomes core, that's when we just become, man, humble and servants and 
And, and then all these things that Paul's going to tell us to put out of our lives, we're like, man, I'm right with you, Jesus. I want that out of my life. I don't like that I'm a spiteful person. I don't like that I have a, a, a short fuse. I don't like that my mind is dominated by these thoughts. So I want to get rid of these dirty garments. There are some things I do want to kill. Paul says in Philippians 1, he says, for me to live is Christ and then to die is gain. Death The only time death is a gain is if Christ is your life. Because if money in pursuit of your career is your life, dying is terrible. It's over. But if Christ is your life, well, death is gain. Paul says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To be so captivated by Christ, the reason for our life, central to everything, to pick up on what Paul says in chapter one, that he is first in everything, and that includes our own personal lives. As we wrap up today, that's a good thing to wrestle with today, man. What's core to who you are today? Is it the Lord? Is it Christ? Is there anything competing for that affection for him right now in your life? I'm going to tell you, if that thing wins, you lose. This is a great day to sort of, I love coming Sunday mornings uh, to church. I love being a part of a local body because, and I'm in charge. <laughs> and I, my, my life can get squirrely, zero to 100, so fast. Coming and worshiping with you guys and praying with you guys and opening his word and reading with you guys, it reorients my life to like, this is the plumb line of what needs to be happening in my life. And this is a great time as Fuego comes and closes us in a song is to say, Lord, I need to reorient my life back to the things that matter. I need to seek the things that are above where you are seated at the right hand of God. I need to set my mind on the things that are above, not the things that are on earth. You deal with that with yourself. I'll wrestle that with myself. But maybe you're here today and you say, I need some prayer for that. After the service is over and during our last song, we've got people over on this side table, this little prayer table over here, just to pray with you and for you about things you're going through. Or maybe you're in this spot where you're just thinking to yourself, man, I don't, I don't know that I have a relationship with God. For me, Christianity is about like doing things for you know, God, for him to accept me and love me. And I've got to get some things straightened out in my life first. What Paul says when I read that passage in Galatians is that the the one who loved me and gave himself for me, he took care of your sin so that you could be in a relationship with God. And there's nothing you could ever do to earn his love or his salvation. In fact, all of us put together, all of our best days couldn't buy us one second in heaven. Your options are be completely perfect or have a substitute who went to the cross. And that's what happened 2,000 years ago. That's what Paul was saying. He's the supreme one. He's the one alone who could save us. How am I saved? And by simply acknowledging to God that you're a sinner, you've broken his commands. And by believing that Jesus died for your sins and he rose from the dead and then confessing him as Savior and Lord, saying, God, I want you to come into my life and I want you to make me a new person. You know, there's no magical words Uh, that we have to say in order for God to start going, okay, you said it, now I'll save you. He saves 
the one who calls on him in truth. He says, he or she who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Maybe you're with us now. Maybe you're watching or listening to a podcast. You say, man, I'm, I'm ready to surrender to the Lord. I want a relationship with him. I want him to be the one who's core to my existence. And I want the hope and promise one day that I'll spend eternity with him, not because I was good enough or I did enough good things, but simply because I had a simple faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray today. Father, thank you this morning, God, for this opportunity, God, to come, to open your word, to pray together, Lord, to encourage one another. And Father, I'm praying this morning that you will strengthen every single one of us, Lord, to not only have a greater understanding of what you've done for us and who we are in you, but Lord, what it could look like pursuing you. Lord, how different our lives would be in the next month, year, years, by making that conscious decision daily to set our mind on things above. Lord, it will help us understand why certain things don't work out for us. We can just trust that, Lord, you have a better plan. Lord, it will help us understand the trials that we face. God, it will give us a greater understanding of what really matters in life. So, Lord, I pray for my friends today that you would help us all to be pursuers of you, seeking first your kingdom, opening your word each day, hearing from you. And I pray, Lord, that you would meet my friends, God, and me as we carve out time each day, even just five or ten minutes, Lord, but focus time to hear from you. Lord, our young people right now, my friends, God, who are junior high and high school, I pray for them, Lord, that they would learn the, the, the blessing of putting you first, seeking you first, learning how to set their mind on things that are above. Lord, I can't imagine the battles they face in school, but we, Lord, we know that you can walk them through that, that they can walk faithfully with you through high school and college years. Lord, I also pray for those who are with us. God, maybe someone watching, maybe someone who's sitting in this very room who today says, Jesus, I want you to be my savior. Jesus, I want my sins forgiven. I want to begin a relationship with you today. Friends, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you this morning, you say, hey, Gordon, would you pray for me? Today I'm ready to surrender. Man, I want, I want the Lord in my life. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, how young or how old you are. I just want you to know that God loves you and God has a plan for your life and it begins with you surrendering to him and allowing him to come in, into your life to become Savior and Lord. If that's you this morning, I want you just to say, lift, lift up your hand, high enough so I can see it and then you can put it back down. But if today you're saying, man, today I want to surrender to him, if that's you, let's pray together. Let's tell God together right where you're sitting what you want him to do in your life. Anybody here today? Anybody here this morning? Hey, he loves each and every one of you. Each and every one of us. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for my friends. God, bless each one of us as we depart today, seeking to put you first and pursue you in our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen.